0: Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis.
1: Well, welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Once again, Mike Walden is our guest. Uh, uh, Dr. Mal, uh, Walden is the William Neal Reynolds Distinguished Professor of Agriculture and Resource Economics at NC State. Do you put that on all your letters? I'm I bet. actually
2: have it on my own cards, yes. Oh, okay. fills up the entire card. I, I bet it does. <laughs> uh,
1: but he is uh, probably uh, North Carolina's go-to source when it comes to matters of economics and understanding the state's economic situation and and uh, that means that uh, when the legislature is in session and Mike speaks, they listen because he knows and has made a great study of what's going on in North Carolina and has a lot of history. How long have you been at NC State now? In my 42nd year. And they said you couldn't keep a job. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, that 42 years.
2: 42 years, yes.
1: And Never what, planned it that so, long. So cause... you came when you were eight years old. <laughs> I wish. Well, you know, uh, we were talking earlier about how people extend their careers these yes. days. Oh, yes, you, yes. I mean, I guess twenty years ago, you'd probably be retired, uh-huh. or in maybe, fact, or maybe fact,
2: retired I'll, permanently. I, I think there was a rule about academics retiring by 65 at some point hey, yeah. I think decades ago.
1: Well you know that's a shame because I think uh, you know uh, especially people in academics never seem to lose their thirst for learning and of course they they've got that tremendous background and knowledge and insight into what's happened and all that can get lost in mm-hmm. a hurry. Mm-hmm. There's no yes. way to write it all down or remember it. All. I
2: have a colleague who just finished 50 years David Hyman at NC State and in, what, in, what economics. It, in economics. In economics, yes, yeah. Yes, yes, 50 years.
1: Well, economics particularly is an interesting field because there is so much history and so much to learn from history, and yet it evolves and changes so rapidly that it's uh, – uh, uh, I've, I've said this a dozen times. If I had to go back to college and knowing now what I know, I would have I would have majored in economics.
2: Well, you know what they say in economics, um, you give a test, you and you have the same questions year after year because the answers always change.
1: Yeah, yeah. And yet, uh, the other thing I love about economics is it's a balloon.
2: Yeah,
1: I mean, you push in here, it pushes out somewhere yes. else. Yes, no other uh, pursuit I think is quite like that. Yes. Uh, Uninten- unintended consequences. And there's one to every. There is. Yes, I mean yes. it's uh, many. Sort of like an equal and opposite reaction. But uh, so anyway, uh, so Mike, as you look at the North Carolina economy today, uh, and uh, you know, people keep sort of hinting at. Uh, the possibility of a change in the economy, a slowdown, uh, uh, I haven't seen anybody really think that it might be anywhere close to the last recession we had, but but it seems like now what I'm hearing is it's still about the same distance away as it was maybe a year ago.
2: Yeah, I put out, Don, a um, monthly leading indicator report for the state. I've been doing this for about 10 years, and we have not seen a lot of change in the last year in terms of what that report is telling us. So I do think the state's going to continue to grow. The pace is a little slower than it was last year, but we're adding jobs. Uh, we're, we're adding businesses. Um, we, we just got a report, for example, yesterday about RDU Airport being upgraded in terms of a national survey. Uh, we we last year saw some very good news. For example, about our urban-rural divide. I mean, the the notion there has been that for many many years you got the growth in the big cities, the big metro areas, but not a lot in the rural areas. Where last well, last year job growth in the rural counties was just as strong as in the state. So that's good news, and that I is think, good news. And yeah. I think that's the result of the fact we have now been growing. In our we're now in our eleventh year of growth. So. I don't
1: All right, I want to get back to that. So where is that growth coming from in those uh, roughly 75 or so counties?
2: Well, I th- in terms of location, we we see for example Rocky Mount, yeah. not too far from here. You're yes. very familiar with Rocky Mount. They've had some big announcements, some big developments. Uh, Down east, Goldsboro has had some announcements. If you go out west, uh, Hickory, Hickory is a is a is a tech center. It's a very small tech center, but it's a tech center. They've been doing some interesting things. Asheville area is is really booming. So um, that's the the lay of the land geographically, and I think what's happening, Don, is we continue to grow, and especially in our metro areas. You know this as a businessman. Um, land costs and construction costs are very, very high as the growth has continued, and labor is is more expensive. That a lot of companies who are looking to expand or move here are saying, "Well, maybe could we move to? Could we set up shop in Rocky Mount? We're not too far from Raleigh. We're not too far from our but a good road. Uh, maybe we could set up the shop in Rocky Mount, lower land costs, lower labor costs, et cetera. So I think that's really the underlying reason that we've had growth for so long that, we, that businesses are now taking a second look in order to save some money at some of these really So
1: it would be sort of like the Beltline and the Outer Beltline. The counties that are touching the growth areas, I guess, are the ones that are probably doing what you're saying, and they're probably the ones that are having most of the growth.
2: They are, but I think what my example of Rocky Mount Hickory Goldsboro is that there there are some situations where that growth has leapt over those ring counties and is going to smaller metro yep. areas.
1: Well, that's interesting. And, uh, uh, and of course, because uh, for years, I mean, we've had this sort of 25, 75 situation yep. where we have 25 counties that are doing pretty good and the other 75. Right. I guess we still have some problems in some of those distant counties like that. Uh, Terrell County and some of those who are very small and, and uh, more remote.
2: We do. Um, we we see counties, for example, in the northeast. You mentioned Terrell County, uh, some in the foothills, some in the south-central Scotland County. Yeah, they still have issues. They're, they're far away. Uh, they don't have the amenities. So we still have an issue. But the number – we have a state demographer, for example, who predicts county population growth. And his latest report indicated that um, – Whereas a couple of years ago, he was predicting uh, a third of our counties, 33, would depopulate over the next three or four decades. That's now down to 17 so uh, we have made progress but we do have some core counties where yes th- they are still facing the same kind of structural
1: problems and probably we'll always have those because of the location primarily well
2: this is where uh, technology may change things and i don't i don't know how long you want to spend on this but
1: as long as you want <laughs>
2: <laughs> as long as jason gives us but uh, i could conceive a situation this is decades away where things like um, remote uh, working virtualization uh, drone delivery of products, uh, inter- uh, high-speed internet anywhere in the state where people may decide to, they don't want to put up with the hustle bustle and costs of the big city. They can live and work in a, in a small town in a rural area and that could change the economic landscape dramatically. Yeah.
1: You know, the, I don't think anybody has always looked at the unintended consequences uh, that might come about by self-driving cars because if if cars truly get to be self-driving then people working an hour away could work on the way in. That's right,
2: or, or rest or yeah, sleep. Yeah, or, yeah. That's another element, transportation. Yeah, yeah. You may know I'm on the new State Transportation Commission. We're meeting over the next two years to look at primarily financing of how we finance state transportation with the gas tax uh, fading as well as looking at uh, different modes of transportation that's one of the issues we've discussed that it may be that autonomous vehicles is going to change how people look at commuting they say i don't care if i have to commute an hour or an hour and a half i can sleep i can i can work i can eat whatever and uh, so that's not downtime
1: they still scare me to death but that's aside from the (laughs) well
2: you know uh, we had a speaker uh, speaking of that who came and, and talked to us and said that the technology four autonomous vehicles is there. It's, yeah. it's already there. What is lacking thus far is, is acceptance by drivers, by people. People are just no. not willing to accept the notion that you can have a, what, 5,000 pound vehicle driving itself. So we may get there, but right now he said that's the hump yeah. that we have to get over.
1: Have have you done great study? or our other economists done great studies about all the unintended consequences? For example, what happens to body shops if we have self driving cars? Because we should have fewer crashes, fewer mm-hmm. wrecks, uh, and all the other industries. Uh, for example, will insurance rates go down? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what have you looked at the unintended or are they maybe intended consequences?
2: Well. Um, on that point, everything you mentioned is true. Uh, one, there are some forecasters who say that if we move to to uh, autonomous vehicles and ride-sharing where people don't have to own their own vehicle no. or two or three per household, that's going to cause a tremendous downsizing in the auto industry yes. and auto production. No. So that's a real good example of, um, of unintended consequences. Now on the other hand, famous economist phrase, <laughs> about 16 percent of every dollar a household earns goes to transportation. A big part of that is financing vehicles. If they don't have to finance a vehicle, mm-hmm. that's money they can spend another way. So, yeah, it's always good to think about how a particular technology could shift the economy, yeah. where jobs are and where spending is. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, you, you mentioned uh, who, wh- which was the president said he wanted a one arm economy. Harry Truman. Yeah,
2: and and, and, tr- and it's actually a true story. He was briefed by his economist every day. And at one point he, uh, after the economist left, he turned to his chief of staff and said, you know, find me a one-handed economist because I'm tired of the, my, my people telling me on the one hand this could happen, but then on the other hand that could happen, <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Well, but it's true. It is true. And, yeah. and that's what makes the study of economics so interesting because you're not quite sure how everything. This is true.
2: We, I mean, to think about it, we have a $22 trillion economy, and to think about any person or a yeah. group of smart people can predict what's going to happen in that yeah. economy is really a tall order.
1: Is it possible that self-driving cars might uh, first find their home in less developed countries uh, where there's uh, less de- de- uh, e- emphasis on having two or three cars in your driveway uh, and there's less congestion and it sort of proves itself it works in those, uh, in those areas?
2: A good question, good point. My, my guess would be is that it'll be either here or Japan, or maybe even China. I mean China as people know is, 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 is moving ahead economically uh, quite fast. They just opened a, tr- a tremendously huge and modern airport in Beijing for example. Uh, I, I would think it'll be uh, some developed country like us, Japan, China, uh, less likely in Europe.
1: Yeah well it's interesting. Well so what's kind of the forecast of when that might take place?
2: Well, again, according to the expert that we on the Transportation Commission listen to, the technology's all there, yes. ready to go. It's it's a matter of some, I think, auto companies starting to roll these out. I think GM just announced they were doing tests. They selected Austin, Texas to do their tests. So I think we're getting close to where we might see that that um, um, technology pushed ahead, But I do think the worrisome part right now for the companies is, all right, we build these things, are people going to buy them?
1: Yeah. Our guest is Dr. Mike Walden, and we'll be back with more here on Carolina Deesmakers. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more in detail about the possibility of a slowdown in the economy and how North Carolina is particularly uh, uh, situated for this particular slowdown. Economies do go up and down, and we'll do that when we return with more with Dr. Mike Walden here on Carolina Newsmakers.
2: Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A teenager learning the lingo.
1: Today I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying, that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes.
2: A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council
0: you've got your shades on do you so cool so hip so sheltered by frames of uv protection to show the world you are a force but did you also know by wearing sunglasses you're doing your eyes a favor that's right sunglasses help avoid overexposure to the sun which can produce red eyes a feeling of grittiness even excessive tearing but you oh master of the incognito are taking care of your eyes without even knowing it For more easy ways to keep keeping your eyes healthy, see your optometrist
1: or visit AOA.org.
0: We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis.
1: We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Dr. Mike Walden is with us. He has uh, been with us a number of times and uh, has uh, sort of been North Carolina's unofficial economic uh, source of information for many, many years. The legislature listens when he talks, and so do I. And we have... uh, had a long relationship. I don't know how many times you've been on this program, but all of the programs that he has done are archived. And if you'd like oh, wow. to go back and hear them, you can. And uh, I think more often than not, uh, uh, he's uh, his information has been accurate. And uh, so we, uh, uh, well, it's always accurate, but I mean, it's always turned out to be reliable, I and guess. And by the way,
2: mean. I think the first person on WPTF I was interviewed by was Barbara Heisler.
1: Is that right? Yes. So. Barbara goes back to 1982 or 83, yeah. Yeah. and uh, I, I don't know where Barbara is. I, I don't know whether she's living or not, but uh, she was one of the first talk show hosts, yes. and she did uh, Nightline, yes. or Night, I've forgotten mm-hmm. the name of the program, but so. Well, okay, let's let's uh, zero in a little bit on the uh, possibility of a slowdown in the economy. And North Carolina usually in the past has usually, when there is a slowdown in the economy, we've usually fared a little bit worse than the yes. rest of the country. Yes. Is that still the case? Is our economy like that now or will we be more average? Well, let me, let me explain
2: why in the past we have, and you're absolutely right, Don. It's because traditionally we've had a much larger part of our economy devoted to manufacturing. Now, in the past it was a different kind of manufacturing, tobacco, textiles, furniture. Today it's technology, auto parts, et cetera. But uh, the, the, the issue with manufacturing in a slowdown or recession is that manufactured products generally are products that people and businesses don't have to buy. Yeah. They can postpone buying them. So if there's a slowdown, a household loses your job a company finds their revenues go down, if a company wanted to upgrade their tech system or a household wanted to buy a new car, they're going to say, well, no, I'm going to wait till the recession's over, the slowdown's over. So the fact that North Carolina had, at one point, a third of its economy in manufacturing generally met, and that was about twice as high as the nation, generally met recessions would hit us harder. Now, over the last 25 years, manufacturing has shrunk in North Carolina as a part of our economy. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're manufacturing fewer things. We're we're manufacturing different things, but it's not as big a driver as our economy it used to be. So that fact alone would tend to make the, the uh, slowdown in North Carolina, which tends to be heavier than the nation, not so much. Although I do think still we are we are manufacturing heavy compared to the nation, so a recession will hit us harder. Um, the other uh, point about um, how severe the next recession will be is usually recessions are heavier and harder and deeper when you go into them with heavy loads of debt, household debt, business debt, Mm -hmm. et cetera. And we're not seeing that now. Uh, If you look at debt loads as a percent of income or debt payments as a percent of income for households or businesses, very, very low. So that's very helpful. And then lastly, in terms of the state government, one of the problems with recessions for governments is that their revenues go down, tax revenues go down during recessions, but the needs that they're facing go up. Unemployment goes up, so more people need help, et cetera. And state governments have to choose, well, do we cut services or and or do we raise taxes? And neither of those are very palatable. North Carolina has built up a very large what's called rainy day fund over the last several years. And so if we go into a recession at some point, and I hope we're gonna talk about the probabilities of that, but when we go into recession in some future point, what happens is the General Assembly, the governor can tap into those monies to help continue state services without raising taxes.
1: And the term recession means so many things to different people because the recessions have been, uh, there's been degrees of difference in how deep they are. It's really just a a slowdown in the economy, and sometimes it can be a severe slowdown, sometimes it can be less than slow.
2: Well, more specifically, a recession means you're receding, that instead of positive economic growth, you actually have no growth, you're going in reverse, and so, right now, for example, you look at the national level. We just had a report today that showed that the latest reading on growth in, a, in the national economy, two percent. Last year, it was three percent. That doesn't. We're not in a recession. It just means the pace of growth is slower. That two percent would have to go negative for us to technically have a recession. And if, of course, every economist and different groups of economists have their own predictions, but I, I look at a group called the. Um, uh, national Association of Business Economists. This is a national group. These are economists who work for businesses, so they've got their ear to the ground. They're, I think, predicting now um, only a 9% chance of recession this year. Of course, the year's almost over. Next year, maybe a 33% chance, and then in 2021, maybe thirty between 35 and 40. So still, even looking out two years, the majority is still predicting no recession. Now, prediction is a prediction, but I don't. My my personal view is I don't see any recession looming. I see slower growth, but I don't see anything that's out there telling me definitely the economy is going to go in reverse.
1: Now we have we're reading an awful lot about our uh, trade battles with mm-hmm. China and, and resetting tariffs and so forth. Uh, how will that affect a possible slowdown?
2: If they continue or get worse, I think it increases the chance of a recession. If they are improved and we get agreements, and, for example, we just had an agreement with Japan. I also read yesterday China has agreed to uh, increase their imports from us of pork and soybeans. That's big. The president uh, has said that he thinks we're moving closer to a deal with China if we get a deal with China in particular that could probably add a half percentage point to our economic growth rate and I think pretty much throw out the possibility of a recession next year in 2020 so yeah I think that is a very key part and the nice thing if I can say nice about the trade disputes that's something that's in our control we can can negotiate that we can have a deal the thought is the Trump administration went into this thinking they wanted a massive deal they wanted to change some of the behavior of China they think they're probably going to back off on that because China has has pushed hard and said, "Hey, you don't tell us how to run our country, our economy." So we're probably going to settle for something less than we wanted initially, but a deal I think would be, definitely be a, an improvement for the economy.
1: So the new agreement with Japan, did we come out ahead compared to where we were?
2: I think the biggest point there was, yes, I, I think so, is that Japan opened up their mar- market more to us. That's been one of our problems with uh, China, Japan, even the EU, that we say, hey, we open up our market to your companies who want to sell here. But they compete with ours. You don't do the same. And Japan has been very... Uh, tight, stingy, and opening up their markets, particularly, ironically, to our farm products. And they need to import farm products because yep. they don't have a lot of good farmland no, there. Um, so, yeah, I think this was a positive deal. We also made a deal uh, a few months ago with, with South Korea. But the big one out there is definitely China.
1: So uh, your prediction, uh, next year's an election year, is, yeah. is all this going to be settled before the election? Yeah. Uh,
2: my prediction right now is I'd say within the next five to six months, we we'll, we'll get some kind of a deal uh, with China. won't be what the Trump administration no. initially wanted, but it'll be a deal. It'll be positive for the economy. I would not be surprised if Boris Johnson continues as Prime Minister of, of the UK that we get some kind of deal with, uh, with the UK, especially if they do remove themselves from the from the EU. Uh, we have some issues with the EU, which I think probably are tougher to negotiate. but yeah, Walden is saying, deal with China coming up uh probably a deal maybe with the UK
1: now you know i have always sort of taken the feeling that the uh, the brits uh, removing themselves from the uk is really not going to affect us does that affect us uh, uh, it affects I mean, us. or is that just internal between those two?
2: Well, it's mainly yeah. internal yeah. between those two, but it, c- it could affect us if it causes growth rates, economic growth yeah. rates in the European community, yeah. European Union and UK to go down. Not enough to m- cause us to go into recession, but we benefit from other, when other countries grow uh, yeah. primarily in terms of selling stuff yeah. to them. If, yeah. if you're a growing country, you want to buy more from, from everywhere. So this is something to watch. But it's not, in my view, catastrophic for our economy if if uh, if they don't have a formal Brexit agreement and the UK just moves out, which raises all kind of issues about how the UK interacts with uh, with the EU.
1: Now the so-called third world countries, and there are plenty of them, with mm-hmm. a lot of people. Yes, that's a big market. Is it is? Is our who is our competitor for that? Is that basically China?
2: China, well, one of the biggest markets out there of a country that's really emerging, and and people should keep this in mind, is India. India will overtake China in terms of population. It will become the most populous country in, I think, a couple, couple decades. India
1: will pass China.
2: India will pass China. China is actually on the verge of depopulating um india has had some struggles over the last decades in terms of government control of the economy they've kind of moved away from there so there's a lot of optimism india is going to be the next big international power both geopolitically as well as as economically and then another country to keep in mind is nigeria and africa they are they are growing tremendously in terms of population uh, Africa as a continent has made some headway economically. Uh, technology has been very helpful there. Uh, and if you've got the right political setting, which has always been some of the problems in, in, in Africa with dictators, etc. Uh, Nigeria could be a very major power and a major uh, trading partner with us.
1: And our relations with those two countries, India and yeah, all Oh, good. Well, yep.
2: the prime minister of India uh, yes. was here yep. with uh, with the president uh, at a rally in um a big event in in Texas, uh, so yeah, I think we are we uh, uh, diplomatically are trying to um, trying to forge relationships with
1: India. And basically, India and China fear each other.
2: India and China right. have been competitors. I think it hasn't gotten to the point recently of fighting, but yeah, I think when you mention who, who's our competitor with some of these no. countries, yeah, I do think it's it's China. And China is developing this new trading route, both land and sea, between China and, and Europe, going through the Middle East. Yeah. So China's looking very far ahead and trying to increase its relationships with other countries, and sometimes that causes them to butt up against us.
1: Well, it's all interesting because we tend to think of our economy as being so internal, but yet it's a world and global economy.
2: It is very much so, yeah. and I think will continue to be, yes. Yeah.
1: Mike Walden is our guest. He's the William Neal Reynolds Distinguished Professor of Agriculture and Resource Economics at NC State. I got all that out. I'm proud of myself. <laughs> and we will be back with another segment right after this.
0: One in three adults in America have pre-diabetes, but most don't know it. To let people know it can be reversed before it becomes type 2 diabetes, professional basketball player Julius Randall is doing everything in reverse. I'm only dunking with reverse windmills.
1: I drove the whole way to practice in reverse. I don't recommend it. This move is called the reverse shuffle. I do recommend it. And it took me months to learn how to speak in reverse, like this. Years <throat> 10 almost for diabetes type 2 with living Ben has mama. In other words, my mom has been living with type 2 diabetes for almost 10 years. So together, we want to say to the 84 million Americans at risk, Exercise and healthy eating can help reverse prediabetes. Start by taking a simple one-minute
0: risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. <laughs> Betty can't say that in reverse. I'm Howie Mandel. Did you know attention deficit hyperactivity disorder in adults is a real and treatable medical disorder? I know because I am one of the estimated 10 million adults in the U.S. who have ADHD. The symptoms of ADHD, inattention, hyperactivity, and impulsivity make it difficult to pay attention and focus. Be organized, complete tasks, and maintain relationships. Talk to your doctor. With the right treatment plan, you can stay focused and organized. Take an ADHD self-screener and learn more about adult ADHD at adultadhdisreal.com. Now once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis.
1: We're back with Dr. Mike Walden, and uh, Mike, before we go too much uh, further, I want to talk about books that you've written, and uh, because you've written quite a number of books, and they're all still available. They are. And yeah. so let's talk about all of them. What was your first book?
2: Uh, first book was a book called uh, Economics and Consumer Decisions. It was a textbook. Uh, probably a lot of our listeners no. wouldn't want to get that. Uh, I followed up with a book about economic issues. I think it was called uh, Economics, Rhetor- Rhetoric, and Reality. I had another textbook after that, but the more recent textbooks, more recent books, I should say, uh, have focused on North Carolina. I have two books I wrote have written about the North Carolina economy, both uh, um, kindly published by UNC Press. I did a, a three series of economic thrillers that I used and have used in my classes, uh, geared to teach economics in an entertaining way. Next year, I'm happy to announce, I think probably this is the first announcement on your program i will publish i think my twelfth book it's called uh... real solutions um, common sense answers to our major problems And this looks at all the big problems that we all know um, uh... education both uh, k through twelve and higher education cost of higher education income inequality health care the environment immigration et cetera i tackle all of those really hot button issues and provide my analysis and my attempt at how we might get through these. It, it'll be a big book. I think it's going to be about 520 pages, but that should be out next, or we're hoping by next no. June.
1: Uh, while we're talking about UNC Press, that's a real jewel for North Carolina because they publish a lot of books that mm-hmm. might not get published yes. otherwise. It is, uh, while it is, uh, I think, located in Chapel Hill, it is really a part of the, the overall university, mm-hmm. not just the Chapel Hill campus. Uh, and uh, they, they publish an awful lot of books. and so if someone really wants to find out more about yours, they can go online to that or where else can they yeah. find that information?
2: Well, uh, the, the uh, online yeah. retailers,
1: yeah. Uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble all yeah. carry my books yes. yes. So uh, I guess if you just Google UNC Press, you'll get a list of the whole thing. Yeah,
2: and you're absolutely right, uh, Don. They do publish books that you uh, wouldn't normally see perhaps from other publishers, but fantastic books, great writers. I, I, my, my two experiences in working with UNC Press has been great. Their editors are great. Their production staff is great. So I'm glad you're, you're highlighting them. They should be complimented.
1: Mike, let's turn to another topic that's pretty much in the news and has been for some time, and that's the high cost of education Mm -hmm. and the huge amount of student loan debt. Of course, this is going to be a political football in the next election. Uh, uh, What do you see there? Is that changing uh, somewhat?
2: Well, I I think uh, sometimes we hear the extreme stories of of individuals who graduate and they have $300,000, $400,000 worth of debt. Actually, these numbers just came out. Um, The average student who graduates has maybe $30,000 worth of debt. And if that's what it takes to get a four-year degree, that is well worth it because the average college graduate will more than make that up over their lifetime of work. And that's
1: the price of a car. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you can afford a car, you can afford That's right. That
2: the problem is uh, if you're a student and you you go to college and you don't finish for a variety of reasons, you're just not focused, you, you do the fun things and don't do the hard work, and you take now, on – Now, tell me. No, there's
1: <laughs> not any students that would do that, right?
2: And you take on debt and you don't come away with a degree, yeah. then, th- then you're not going to get that bump in your yeah. salary likely and you're still faced with that kind of debt. And then there are students who do finish, but it takes them a long time to figure out their major. And and I understand I changed majors yeah. twice, but I got done in four years undergraduate school. So I, my advice there would be uh, really think hard about what, what you want to do and, and, and what you're focused on is if you do change majors, uh, go to summer school, uh, take extra courses, uh, don't spend as much time having fun so you get done in four years and don't raise that level of student debt.
1: And, of course, uh, the other big exception is graduate schools and graduate study because masters and PhDs take a lot more time and usually are more expensive.
2: They are but oftentimes there, it was true in my case and, and we, we have a lot of students obviously in our grad program that, that you can get assistance through being a teaching Teacher, assistant, yeah. a research assistant, etc. Mm-hmm. So my message there is if you get a, accepted to a graduate program uh, go and talk to professors, go around and find out what the professors are doing, what their research is doing, make yourself known that, hey, I'm available to work work on your project and, and try to get at least a major part of your education paid for.
1: And let's put in a plug for the whole university system because the cost of getting a, a uh, education from a uh, public university in yes. North Carolina, 16, 17 campuses, depending on how you count them, uh, is Really low compared to most states.
2: It is when now th- these data may be a little out of date, but the last book I did on the North Carolina economy, I think I and I have a chapter on education there, uh, indicated that we were the fifth lowest cost educational higher educational system among all the states, UNC system. Fifth and another great jewel
1: for North Carolina is the community college system.
2: Oh, can't say enough about our community college system. Um, Uh, That, I think, and I think our community college system is going to be more prominent in coming decades as we go through what many think is going to be a big change in our workforce with technology coming in, doing things that people used to do. So what we're going to have are a number of people who are in mid-career who wake up one day and find they got to get a new kind of training. That's where our great community college system comes in. They've got their ear to the ground. They know what businesses want. They're constantly changing, adapting their programs. Yeah, it's we we are very, very fortunate to have our community college system. And I think it's the case that there's a community college campus within 20 minutes, pretty much, of a, of a high percentage yeah, of, of I, households. I, I in the state. A, yeah, I think that's
1: I think that's what I've heard, and yeah. it's like 98 percent of the population, mm-hmm. or something like, maybe even 99 percent. Peter Hans yeah. is now the, yeah.
2: the president of the system. We've great presidents, and um, uh, it's 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 truly, I agree, a jewel of our of our state.
1: Well, another thing that bounces in and out of the news right now, I haven't heard too much about it, but that's the uh, long-range future of the Social Security system. Um, as uh, more people age and draw Social Security out of the fund longer, I mean, you know, it's really easy because we've got computers you can study and see when it's going to run out of money. And every once in a while, this bounces in the news, and then for some reason, there's some kind of a little fix, and it bounces back out. Where do we stand on Social Security now and the the, the uh, security of the security Security? Well, we still security.
2: have an issue. The, each year, there's a group called the Trustees of the Social Security System Issue Report, and I believe I'm right, and I may be off a year or so, but... Somewhere around 2035 is the latest estimate, uh, we are going to start uh, paying out more from Social Security than is brought in by workers. So there's a problem there. And Social Security will not be able to meet its promises in terms of um, payments to people. So we do have a problem. We've been through this before, though. My thought is everyone knows this is an issue but there's in politics this is no this is no knock at politics but in politics you usually don't take on difficult problems until you're up against them yes. up the wall yes yes and if it's not it's 20, called kick the can <laughs> if it's not 2035 until we hit that that's still a long ways yeah. away yeah. and i think that's why we've not acted my prediction is long about 2030 2032 uh it'll be it'll be eminent the problem there'll be a new commission just like the greenspan commission that met 30 years ago and solved some problems because we've been through this before we'll have a new commission they'll issue recommendations and there'll be a fix and some will say well what fix well their congressional budget office has a report that issue that uh, lists about 40 different changes we could make in social security uh, to do this. I think uh, the the two that I would probably look at is making some adjustments to the cost-of-living indicator that's used, and secondly, um, making some adjustments for higher-income um, pensioners in terms of how much more social security they get as their income goes up, probably giving them a little less of a bump as their income goes up. Those are two fixes, if we implemented right now, would actually put us on a guide path of uh, maybe uh, Forty years yep. of solvency in Social Security, so it's a it's an issue, but it's an issue we can solve. The question is, when are we going to solve it?
1: And of course, the other big issue, I guess, is when you become eligible for Social Security, because people, as we've talked about, are working longer and yes. and health uh, uh, their health is better, and uh, so yes. uh, that that's another big change that could be
2: yeah. And great. actually, the Greenspan all, everything we're operating now came after the Greenspan Commission in twenty uh, in nineteen eighty three and they did a pretty good job of forecasting what they missed was exactly what you said don they did not they they knew people were going to live longer they didn't know that it was going to be this much yep. longer. Yep. And so it wasn't that we set up Social Security wrong, it's just that forecasting these things yep. is difficult. So we've got, that'll be a fix we we'll have to make.
1: Well, I think also not only just the, uh, the death age projection, but also the, uh, the activity level. I mean, people who are 65, 70 years oh, old yeah. are still extremely active, whereas maybe 30 years ago, they were uh, really pulling out and, and, and really aging.
2: Well, um, I'll give my age away here. In a little over a year, I'll be seventy, and people have said, "Oh, Mike, don't worry about it. Se- uh, seventy is the new 50. Yeah. So well, I hope that's true. <laughs>
1: well, I'm fifty-five, and uh, why is everyone in the room laughing? Uh, but but you know, I, I uh, I'm I'm older than you are by a long shot. And I, but I thoroughly enjoy working yeah. and don't want to quit. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. And I think a lot of people are in that thing. A lot of people uh, also change careers yes. and uh, maybe slow down a bit or have a little bit more flexibility. But for, by the same token, they're still active.
2: And there are going to be more of us uh, in, in, um, in a couple decades. Almost one in, in four people in our country will be over age 65. And that'll be almost double the percentage it is today. Yeah. So we're going we're gonna to continue to roll, on.
1: Well, I, I've got a lot of friends that at one point in time were five years younger than I am, and then they're five <laughs> years older. I, I'm not quite sure how that happened, but uh, uh, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Um, okay, here's one other question. We've got about a minute and a half in this segment. A lot of people are, are – uh, apartments are growing everywhere. Uh, What happens when people in, you know, they've been in an apartment Mm -hmm. for 10 or 12 years and they're now 35 years old and they want a yard? Yeah. Uh, are we going to have a surplus of apartments?
2: I don't think in – and you see this, of course, in Raleigh. You can't you can't yep. miss all the building going on in Raleigh. Same in Charlotte. I don't think in those two metro areas because we're getting a lot of p- continual flow of people in. Yep. But I have been talking – we've talked about this before. I've, I've, I've warned uh, when I speak to builders groups or real estate people, yeah, you, they need to worry about this because I do think – the, the millennial generation, those between, born between 1980 and 2000, they're, they were the first generation who sort of said, well, we're not we're going we're to buy a house immediately out of school. We're going to rent, continue to rent. And a lot of people thought, well, this is, this is a change. Yeah. The home ownership is going uh, single-family yeah. home with a picket fence. Actually, what we're finding now is the millennials are doing exactly what you said. The older ones, they're deciding, no, I don't want that apartment now in a high-rise. I want a single-family home. So, yeah, this is something I think those in real estate need to be aware of.
1: Well, usually uh, realtor, uh, developers usually wait just a tad too long before yes. they jump off the wagon.
2: You never know where that turning point is. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm uh, – I think it is, as uh, 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 Kenny Rogers' great song, you've got to know when to yes. hold 'em them and when to fold them. <laughs> Our guest is Mike Walden and we'll be back with one final segment of Carolina Bakers, and we'll do that right after this.
2: As an 18 year old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was .5 credits away from completing high school and I didn't do it. Ten years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter, has just
1: been more than the support that I could ask for. I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it.
0: No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. That last apartment looked more like a tool shed. That's because it was a tool shed, dear. I thought I'd show you the less than desirable apartments first because your credit is less than acceptable. But no worries, plenty of apartments. Let's try this one. It's a broom closet. Don't be silly, dear. It was a broom closet. Now it's apartment 3AA.
2: Potential landlords can and will check your credit before giving you a lease. Don't let your credit put you in a bad
1: place. Go to ControlyourCredit.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Treasury and the Ad Council.
0: Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis.
1: We're back with uh, Mike Walden as our guest this week on Carolina Newsmakers, another really great program. And if you have joined us late, or if you want to hear a repeat of the entire broadcast, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com. Also a reminder that a number of our stations that carry this program across the state of North Carolina, and there's about 40 of them, uh, carry the 30-minute version, which means you miss two segments. Well, Jason Kong, our producer, segments those two segments, and if you would like to go online, you can hear those segments that you miss, again, by going to Carolina carolinanewsmakers.com, carolinanewsmakers.com. Well, uh, uh, and and of course, if you've joined us late, you've missed a great broadcast, so you need to go back and hear the first segments as well. Uh, Interest rates, uh, we did not talk about that earlier. We did talk a good bit about the the likelihood of uh, a recession, and and you may want to sort of remind us again what you said about that in in a capsule form that uh, you think it's – at least a year and a half off or something.
2: Very so. quickly, yeah, I think uh, and these are based on forecasts of a group, National Association of Business Economists. We're almost done with the year, but only 10% chance of recession this year. They say maybe a third next year and a third a chance in in 2021. So still, if you, if you take those verbatim, yeah. we're recession-free if you yeah. go with the, yeah. the opposite yeah. percent.
1: Now, interest rates, uh, you know, there for a while, uh, the Fed yep. was raising the rate. Now they're lowering the rate. Uh, what do you forecast there?
2: Well, uh, the Fed uh, lowered the rate, was it last week, by yep. another quarter percent. Jay Powell, the chair, said uh, we're going to evaluate the data, did make any promises for, for uh, low rates. My forecast is if the economy stays at growing at 2%, if we get some trade deals, which I think will bump up growth at maybe 2.5%, then the Fed doesn't lower rates. If the data come in weak if we get some weak employment numbers if the uh, forecast for economic growth are, are lower than two percent then I think we could see another cut what the Fed is trying to do is extend this economic recovery now they, they they don't they don't control everything but they can they can do what they can and usually lower rates tend to boost economic growth so I like what the Fed is doing I, I think they made a mistake in December when they last raised the rate they probably would like to have taken that back and if you remember there was a big sell-off in the stock market after that but I think they are adjusting to what the economic numbers are telling us I don't think any of this is pressure from from the president he's folks and, and incidentally, presidents always complain about the Federal Reserve um, it's not just the current president so uh, I, I think I give high marks to the Fed I think they're pragmatic and trying to do what's best for the long-run situation in the economy
1: and of course the other side of that is uh, if interest rates do go up, we're still talking about marginal increases. We're not talking about interest rates going or the Fed's rate going up to 5 yeah, or 6%. And, or and I mortgage. tell
2: people who are now out there looking to buy a house, they're looking at 3 or 4% mortgages, and I say, boy, this is such a great situation. Because I remember when I was looking to buy my first house, A in the late 70s, we we're looking at 14 yes. to 17% mortgage yes. rates. So it's good to be older and have yes. some kind of a longer-run perspe- yeah. perspective because borrowing money now is very very cheap.
1: Uh, And that uh, carries over to uh, uh, financing cars and -hmm. uh, credit card debt and everything is sort of uh, all tied to that. And so basically you're saying that uh, you see a very stable interest rate uh, situation for at least the next 12
2: months. Yeah, I think that would be a fair characterization.
1: Uh, Any other legislation that... is uh, pending before or has been approved by the North Carolina House and Senate that's going to affect our economy?
2: Well, of course, there have been some pay raises. Uh, granted, uh, the, the General Assembly and the governor are still at odds over the budget, but the General Assembly has pushed some, some separate bills to give certain segments pay raises. I think that's what most people are looking for. They may, they may continue that. Um, i think they are looking to we we, we've come up with a big budget surplus this fiscal year what 900 million dollars and i guess there's a question about what do we do with that do we put that in the rainy day fund there's been proposals to divvy it up and send it back to taxpayers so that's probably one of the looming questions that we don't know will be resolved whether we get a a total budget package that because we have one house that needs to override yet and i'm not taking sides in that uh that's yet to be seen uh but i think fiscally north carolina state the state of north carolina fiscally is on a very very good path I really applaud them for thinking ahead with these rainy day funds. I think that's a big, big plus for our state. Well
1: you've preached that as long as I've known you that North Carolina has that uh, uh, economy that uh, can go through recessions yes. with help from the state mm-hmm. government if mm-hmm. they have this rain. So many people think the rainy day fund is just for weather emergencies. Yeah, it's yeah. it's for other kinds of changes in the economy as well. That's right. Yeah. And the other thing
2: I'll say at the national level that the new NAFTA, the USMCA, is, still has to be approved by Congress. And there's a real question about with, with the other things that are going on in Congress, whether that'll happen. And I think that'll be a negative if that doesn't get approved. And I think if it does get approved, that'll be a plus for North Carolina. I think it might help us grow our auto parts industry, and I think it will also help our farmers.
1: And what's your forecast as F- whether it will be approved.
2: Well, that. Uh, that gets in the political realm, and I think before the latest uh, movements in the in the Congress regarding relations with the president happened, it was probably, th- their thinking was, yes, it'll get passed. Now, I don't know.
1: Okay, Mike, you're, you're an educator. or Is our education system looking ahead and preparing uh, the students today for what might be in the future instead of what is on the immediate horizon? Are we Are we teaching them to be flexible in the future? Because we don't know what jobs are going to be out there 10 years from now.
2: That's true. And I think we try to do that. I mean, of course, one question is, do we know what's looming on (laughs) the future? But, no, I, I, think, I think there's a recognition by educators as well as actually students. I've been impressed with students who know that we're in a, in a period of change, particularly due to technology, and the first career you have may not be the only career you, you have in your life that you may need to get further education down the road. So, yeah, I do think that that's ingrained now in our educational system. Uh, the question is, to what degree can we predict where the jobs will be in 10, 15, or 20 years? We, we have some thoughts. But uh, I learned a long time that l- going out that far is very, very dicey in terms of trying to say this is exactly the way it's going to be.
1: This is, I guess, is a political question, and you try to stay out of politics, but I'm just asking from an economic point of view. The proposals for eliminating debt, especially student debt, yeah. health debt, and free college tuition – Can we do that, or is that just sort of a wonderful pipe dream?
2: Well, my my guess is that uh, we could not do that and would not do that at the level that some of those who are proposing those ideas say. And um, I I have an issue with just writing off debt. Um, I think that actually uh, making some payments for your college education is, whether you have to do that out of pocket or borrowing it, gives you some skin in the game and yes. probably motivates you to to perhaps put your nose to the grindstone more. Never, I mean, students need to have fun, but they need to work also. So yeah, I think a lot of those proposals are sort of uh, 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 outlandish and probably not practical, and there may be some reasons why you wouldn't even want to go there even if they were.
1: Well, as you know, uh, politicians are always saying what they're going to do. What people remember is it's the Congress that passes the laws. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, the president can't just arbitrarily Eliminate uh, uh, student debt or something of this nature. So yeah. there is uh, in our wonderful system. We do have checks and balances. Yeah,
2: and again, in North Carolina, we've been. I think pretty. You mentioned we talked about this early. We have been pretty good, especially in the last couple of years, about holding the lid on college costs, college tuition in particular. But we need to continue to, as, as someone involved in this, not as an administrator, but as a participant, we need to watch that. And and again, technology may help us out in the future in terms of delivering college services and, and, and costs. Uh, more efficiently. Our online course um, offerings have skyrocketed, for example, in my department in just the last few years. And so I think at the face of education and how education is delivered is going to dramatically change in the next several decades, and hopefully that will result in some more efficiencies and cost reductions.
1: Mike, you've left me just enough time to thank you very much for a wonderful program. Thank you. We look forward to having you back on. Dr. Mike Walden, uh, who is uh, our friend when it comes to the economy, is Professor at uh, NC State University Program has been produced by Jason Coggin He'll have another interesting guest for us again next week On the same group of stations all across North Carolina We look forward to being with you again next week So the next week, same time and same station Have a nice week everybody Carolina Newsmakers
0: is a production of NCN And is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations To hear a repeat of this broadcast Go to carolinanewsmakers.com